the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time now for the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. A very special guest and familiar voice joins us on today's program. We're pleased to have with us the host of Living by the Word. Some call him the Paul Harvey of Christian Radio. When I tell you his name, you'll know why they say that. He is the senior pastor of People's Inner City Fellowship in Marin City, Sausalito, and a privilege and delight to have Pastor Marcus Small joining us today. And Pastor Small, great to have you on board. It is great to be here. Thanks, Craig. I first want to say, by the way, congratulations. I understand you're you're just kind of on the cusp of about 10 full years of ministry serving as full-time pastor there at People's Inner City. And you actually, if I'm not mistaken, you took over the helm, you took over that, that position as senior pastor when your father Fred was called to be home with the Lord. That is correct. 2013, May 15th, 2013. Your church oftentimes refers to the goal of not only loving God, but believing and preaching and teaching the Word of God without compromise. And I think maybe the only thing we could add to that is um, to preach it, to teach it, and to live it. And, And I'm curious, from your perspective, not only as a senior pastor, but I'll mention that you are a licensed marriage and family therapist here, um, serving in the Bay Area is kind of a, a, a dual calling, a dual or bivocational uh, ministry. Is one of the challenges in your opinion today, as we look at what's going on not only in the world around us, but but more closer in what's going on in the church, that sometimes we we might be exposed to quality preaching and teaching, but if we're not living the word without compromise, is that what gets us largely into trouble, do you think? Absolutely. I think one of the one of the major problems or difficulties is blending ministry, blending um, one's vocation, even if it's a, a ministry in the world of secular, as we may say. Um, and it's always it's a challenge because when you try to bring the two together, oftentimes, um, there can be a challenge of balance. And so um, for me, it's balancing the ministry at the church, balancing the ministry also in my job and how they come together is vitally important. And the Lord has, has helped me to be able to, uh, to blend the two, to be able to bring both together and to be able to um, have success in both areas. So I'm very grateful for that. And I guess that challenge in a broader perspective is something that all of us face, that sense of wanting to see a, a solid blending of not only our our workplace life, our family life, but our spiritual life as well. And sometimes I suppose some folks tend to kind of compartmentalize all of that, meaning, you know, they're in the Word and they're in their, they're in their relationship with God on Sunday, and then the rest of the week God kind of gets set on the shelf and they go about their business. But I wonder if maybe therein lies part of the problem, that the ability of the church to really have its greatest impact in the communities around us is that sense of workplace evangelism, uh, that, that sense of marketplace evangelism, where we take Jesus into the marketplace Monday through Saturday, as opposed to just simply leaving him at church on Sunday. Yes. I think when, whenever we look at work, I think that we always have to remember that it is a God, it is a God calling so that when we are working, whatever it may be, that's our ministry for that purpose. We're, we're to be faithful and God uses us and wherever we are. And, and too often people say, well, um, I work during the week here as a tax preparer or as a lawyer, but my real passion is one day to be a preacher. Well, you're preaching somewhere, wherever you are, by your lifestyle and your job. And I think the the matter of trying not to separate, but to say wherever I am, God has called me to be a minister right there in that job. And sometimes people don't oftentimes see that. 
and feel that ministry only happens at the church as compared to the workplace where they spend most of their time. So either a lack of understanding of how that blend is supposed to be in their day-to-day life or the notion that maybe the job is up to the professionals. <laughs> By that I mean, well, pastor handles all those things on Sunday. I, I just go to work, I collect a paycheck, and I go home. And, and, and maybe therein lies, as you indicate, the, the, the real need to rethink all of that. Some folks struggle with the notion of, well, I'm not sure what God has called me to do. I don't know where my ministry is. You think maybe for all of us, ministry simply starts at where we're planted, meaning on the job with our families in the lives that we come in contact with every day, be it the postal carrier, the UPS delivery guy, the man who collects money when we buy gasoline, things of that sort. Is that the perspective that we need to be looking at, that wherever God has placed us, therein is our ministry, and it doesn't necessarily have to be. It could be being a Sunday school teacher, but doesn't necessarily have to be that. Do you think that's true? Absolutely, it's true. I think about the Apostle Paul, um, who was bivocational. He made tents during the time, uh, you know, of his ministry. He, at times, he would preach during uh, the Sabbath and during the week of times, but there are times when he had to make a living, and he would spend that time making tents, um, bringing those matters together, and I think one of the things that's important is it's great to want to serve in the church, but the the false dichotomy that one is not really ministering unless in the building, um, well, it's a false notion. And I think the greatest impact is if we learn to recognize that if I'm making an impact at the office, that may just inspire a person to want to say, well, what's different about this individual Maybe what they want to come to church with you. So wherever we are, we should use it as an opportunity. Um, and so that becomes vital. And I think if many people can get that perspective, it can really expand and extend their ministry where they are. So the real greatest need then is outside of the church, beyond the four walls of the church, um, to be out there in in not only being salt and light, um, but but to be, as Scripture says, you know, we should compel them to come in. Well, how will how will they hear unless we can be out into the highways and byways and doing just that? Yes, absolutely. Compelling individuals to come by what we say, how we live, how we represent the Lord. Um, one of the things I feel <clears throat> I find that's very interesting um, in my job as a therapist when individuals come to find out that I am a pastor or that even I go to church because oftentimes let me not even bring that up. Um, it's kind of interesting of how they then respond to me. Some of them are like, Oh, wow, that's, that's great. And they began to ask questions in relation to that. But for many of the clients I work with, many of them may not know that I'm a pastor because I don't want that to necessarily be the leap. But oftentimes I use the training that God has given me as a therapist, my work in the church to help families, but when they find out, what I come to find is that once the relationship has been established, um, it really actually enhances the work that I oftentimes do with the family as compared to it being a barrier. Do you find, I'm curious, in that role, you, you bring a unique perspective to the table as not only a pastor, but as we mentioned earlier, a marriage and family therapist. I, I'm wondering, do you find in most of the, the clients that you work with that there is a sense of commonality in terms of the challenges that they face or the struggles that I ha- that they have? Does it tend to be relational? And I ask that question because certainly when we deal with what goes on in our lives and the struggles that we have, if our relationship with God is not in right and perfect order, well, of course, everything else is going to be having some challenges and, and struggles to be sure. If your heart is right with the Lord and your relationship with him is right, then the ability to take that and translate it across all of your horizontal relationships, 
I would imagine, becomes a lot easier. So at the end of the day, I'm, I'm curious, do you find that in many instances, the challenges that people are facing is because of challenges that they're dealing with at the, the horizontal and vertical line, relationally speaking? That is absolutely the crux of what happens in any type of work, whether it's as a therapist or whatever work that a person does, I've come to find that the relationship is what makes a difference. What they found in some studies um, in psychology is that regardless of what approach or theoretical orientation a person brought, um, that wasn't really the agent of change. What they found that was the key change was the relationship within the within the therapy or within that working situation um, with a family, with an individual. They found that pretty much every approach had pretty much the same outcome. But what made a, a therapist different or raise the bar was the relationship that they had with that client. And in fact, when there is a relationship that has been established, I'm able to say some things that maybe another therapist could not say um, and still be okay with the client. Oftentimes, there are certain matters that you can't necessarily delve into too soon because a therapeutic relationship hasn't occurred or even just a regular relationship. So it becomes vitally important to have a, a relationship with that client to where they feel that you're just not a therapist, but that you really um, like them and that you actually understand them. So you're, you're essentially using building blocks. Um, from a scriptural perspective, we might say precept upon precept to move towards discussing those issues. And, and I would suppose, for example, in your work, if you're dealing with, say, a couple and there are issues going on between husband and wife, and there's a lot of consternation within the family and disagreement, everything from maybe uh, parenting approaches to what goes on within that couple, do you find sometimes that there is that sense of, of the the couple dealing with many of these challenges? Because maybe, for example, one or nowadays possibly even both are from broken families, They've never seen a healthy marriage relationship between mother and father, husband and wife at that level modeled before them because they came from a broken home. And so as a result, they don't know what that looks like. And so then sort of the, the, the issues that were present in one's parents' relationships all of a sudden now gets carried into your own relationship. So if you never saw mom and dad get along real well, or if one of the two were not in the picture, I would guess it isn't any wonder then that those children, once they become husband and wife, mom and dad, equally struggle because the, the quality, as I say, of, of the, the mentorship was just never there. Do you, do you see that happen often in your work, both in marriage and family counseling, as well as as a pastor? <laughs> yes, and even I think even more so now, um, I'm seeing even more of a breakdown within the families. Many of the um, families that I work with, and primarily many of the families I work with are involved, you know, they're in the school system. So my work currently right now is working with some of the school districts where students are having either depression or anxiety, and some of them cannot get to school. So part of my work is going into the home, making an assessment, what's happening to keep that student from going to school. Um, and in some respects, many of the families are single parent homes. Sometimes father is the single parent, but in many cases, single parent families. And then that transition of either going from one parent to the other and then to school, there's oftentimes a conflict internally for that student to where they oftentimes struggle with getting to school. Um, and then as they grow up and look at having relationships and then eventually marry, I see some of those same barriers and things that they said, oh, this happened to my parents. I'm going to make sure that I don't do it end up occurring anyway. And so I see that pattern, that pattern kind of repeating itself um, throughout. This is pretty, and it's pretty interesting um, to work with some of the families because while they have a great heart, some of them are really kind of unsure how to handle some of the, the difficulties that are arising. And so 
it becomes interesting in looking at efforts to address those symptoms. And so one other thing I will say, I've asked God in the past to help me to work with families that were considered to be the more difficult families to work with, where others may try to actually say, oh, I don't want to work with that family. I've asked the Lord to actually place those families um, in my sphere, and he has. And what it involves then is trying to come up with different um, techniques or ways in working with them that are outside the box. And so that becomes a challenge at times because um, at times the kind of, I would say, the the normal way of approaching the situation does not always work. And so you have to be somewhat creative. It doesn't always work, but I've asked the Lord to help me in that area. And so he has been. Do you find some of those challenges that families are facing are exponentially growing as time goes on? And I ask that question, Pastor Small, because, for example, we've seen the impact of COVID over the last couple of years and and families set to turmoil because perhaps there's been a loss of an income. Uh, There might be a situation where suddenly now a, a single parent had to deal with my child is no longer going to school. I have to go to work. I can't afford daycare or a babysitter during the hours that I'm working. So that puts not only some emotional pressure on that parent, but also enormous financial stresses and pressures. And then when you add to that much of what we see going on in the world around us, and you know you know this better or certainly as well as anyone else, having been born and raised here in the San Francisco Bay Area, we're facing a lot of challenges. We've seen increases of violence on the street. There's been examples of, 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 of between overt and covert examples of, of severe racism at a time when we thought gee, we think we're starting to make some progress, and then it seems as if we've taken two steps forward and three steps backward. I wonder if this almost creates sort of a powder keg for some of these families because there are so many multiple stressors financially, scholastically, in terms of health, and then add to that many of the the examples of moral decay that we see in society around us. It would just seem that this is a particularly rough time to be a parent. What COVID has done uh, for some has, it's brought about a fear, some justified than some that's not, but it's produced the same types of feelings and affect um, as if a person is experiencing a, a real just traumatic event, um, whether it's from a person having um, seen a great trauma they're they're exhibiting those same behaviors and having those same feelings. And it's been very interesting to address and deal with. Tell us a bit about your, your own walk, the way in which the Lord drew you into full-time ministry. How did that all come about? It, well, it wasn't by agreement initially. It was me running. I am not going that direction. <laughs> I, think, um, I think Paul had the same issue at one point. <laughs> <laughs> Um, actually, I, and I actually now live in uh, Rona Park, right next to uh, Sonoma State, beautiful country, and I now drive forty, you know, about forty miles um, to here. But my my dad came from, and mom came from Lancaster, South Carolina. He was a baker in the Air Force, um, and he was stationed at Hamilton in Nevada. And there was this little place here, in Marin City, <clears throat> during the war, where initially many had come to work on the shipyards in Sausalito. And there was housing here. So his plan was to, and he wasn't saved at the time. His plan was to do his, his you know, to fulfill his obligation in the Air Force, re-enlist as a baker, and then go back east. But he got saved here. And while he wanted to go back home, he, failed, he heard the Lord say, I want you to stay in Marin City. He said he cried because there were, you know, mud puddles. And he did not want to stay here. But he decided to submit to the Lord, and he did. He served as also as a postman for about 17 years total between the Air Force and being a, um, a postman. And the Lord finally said, I want you to leave that job in just full-time ministry. So my dad served in this ministry for over 50 years. We've only had three pastors here, Pastor Durham, my dad, and now myself. And I was my dad's assistant for a number of years. And initially... My job, my, in fact, my 
going to school and moving, going into the realm of psychology, the field of psychology, was really to escape going into the ministry. I says, I see how pastors are treated and I want no part of the pastorship. And so I'm going to school. Well, the Lord had other plans. <laughs> and so um, served with my dad, then accepted my call, was a drummer for the church and then played the keyboards. And so I served in that capacity and also as my dad's administrative assistant. And so kind of a hands-on approach um, in the ministry. So in 2013 is when he passed. But prior to that time, he did something very strategic, I think, um, which is very interesting. He asked the congregation that if anything was to ever to happen to him, and he did this years before, would you accept Pastor Marcus as your pastor? And the congregation said yes. And even though the congregation has kind of changed since that time, the, the groundwork had been laid. And as a result, when he passed, I was in the ministry, moved into the position of the senior pastor, very smooth transition, because oftentimes when there's such a transition with a beloved pastor as my dad was, you oftentimes have a major fallout, and that didn't happen. Few people left, but there was a smooth transition, and that was only by the grace of God. So it sounds like the Lion of Judah was chasing you, <laughs> and he ran a lot faster than you could, by God's grace. Um, in the time since you've been serving, we mentioned it's almost a, a decade now. Uh, obviously, there's been a lot of changes. Talk to us a bit about where you see some of the greatest needs directly within your community, and, and most importantly, how can the body of Christ, not only locally in Marin City, Sausalito, that area of Marin County, but, but even throughout the San Francisco Bay Area, how can we do a better job for impacting the world around us, kind of back to that marketplace evangelism idea, that we can be more efficient, more effective at reaching this lost and dying world that day by day has got so many questions, and we've been handed the book that provides all the answers. How can Absolutely. we more, be more efficient at that? Two things come to mind right off, and that is, one is prayer. I think many people underestimate the power and effectiveness of prayer. Um, when I come into the community, I kind of make around my round around, go around a particular way as I come through. And as I drive through the community, I pray for the different areas as I'm working my way to the church. I was praying one morning. I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me or say to me, is that when I was praying, God, do a miracle, and I'm just praying. I felt the Holy Spirit said, they don't need a miracle. They need to hear the word of God. And I actually paused and stopped praying at that point. I said, huh? And so one of the greatest need is encouraging and inviting people to go to church to hear the word of God. That's where the vital change takes place. They need to hear the word. And so I think one of the things for me for the Bay Area is pray for Marin City, pray for the churches to not compromise the word, to not become woke, to not become a group that violates the word of God by caving to pressure to become something that we're not. I vowed to God that I would proclaim the word of God, I would preach the word of God and not compromise. And that's my mandate. So when people come to church, as they leave the world or come into, they have to be able to go to a place that speaks the truth, speaks it in love, but speaks it firmly and preaches directly from the word of God. That is the key. And so for many of the young people growing up and many of the mothers who are raising children without the fathers, there's a generation and generations that, that's not getting to church, that's not being raised. And so for us in growing up, we had the, the ability to fall back on what we had been taught. You know, we might have gone out there, but there was a way to get back. Many of the young people don't have a foundation to fall back on. They're not having that. And so the foundation is not there. They need a foundation, and parents right now are not getting their children to church, nor are they coming. That's one of the greatest needs I see. And as we know, Scripture tells us, hang out a shingle and they shall come. No, it doesn't say that, does it? It says, <laughs> go out into the highways and byways and compel them compel. to come in. That's right. And uh, it, it's, it's as vital that we be fully participatory in the body of Christ, whether it be going to Sunday school, Wednesday or midweek Bible study, plugged into fellowship on a Sunday morning. It's as vital that we do that as it is that we be disciples of Christ 
in praying, reading the word, living the word, and then being that living testimony to those whose lives we come in touch with day by day. I want to mention, by the way, that um, Pastor Marcus Small, in addition to hearing him throughout the week on KFAX, also has a Sunday afternoon broadcast, conveniently, and I think most accurately called Living by the Word with Pastor Marcus Small. That's Sundays at 5 p.m. here on KFAX. You can also find more information about the ministry and fellowship of People's Inner Cities Fellowship by going online to PICF, think People's Inner City Fellowship, PICF.net. You have a Tuesday Zoom ministry in Petaluma area for folks up in that part of the bay at 7 p.m. and then Wednesdays both in-person and Zoom services starting at 6 p.m. The church meeting at 639 Drake Avenue in Marin City, Sausalito. Again, 639 Drake Avenue in Marin City, Sausalito. Complete details available on the web at picf.net. That's picf.net. Pastor Marcus Small, we sure appreciate you sharing some of your heart, some of your burden, some of the good news about what God is doing in ways in which we as believers in the body of Christ can be more effective at reaching those around us right where we're planted. I so much appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, Greg. Great being with you. Would you stand on your feet, please, with me? Today, Lord, we thank you for your wonderful grace, and we thank you for your love. Thank you for those that are teaching Sunday school and the different parts that they play, and we thank you for teachers, and we thank you for the leadership of this body, for the membership, for visitors, for people that are being touched by the work of this ministry, the food ministry, the the lives that are being affected. We honor your name today, and we bless you. We thank you for expansion, and we pray today that you will continue to help us to know and to remember that all of our help and blessings come from the Lord. We cannot claim ourselves. We cannot take credit for any of the good things that, God, you've done. We can't take credit for salvation, for it was applied and done by you, and for that we are indeed grateful. We do love you. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. And bless the word and give us ears to hear, we pray. Amen. In your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Matthew. I'm going to be reading a few different passages. So let me give you the scriptures if you're writing them down. I'll be reading Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Psalm 118, verse 26. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6. 61, verse 1 of Isaiah. And then I'll be reading St. John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John heard in prison that the deeds of the Christ Let me go back and read two again. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. The poor have good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Turn in your Bible to the book of Psalms, in particular Psalm 118, verse 26. 118, verse 26. And this is what it says. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6. And this is what it says. 
Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Stay right there in the book of Isaiah. Go to chapter 61, verse 1. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. It says, The Spirit of the Lord, God, is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And then finally, back over in the New Testament, St. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. St. John, chapter 1, beginning at verse 29. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him, that he is John the Baptist, and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. The title that I've given this, this message is, I have some questions. I have some questions. Every generation has raised questions about a variety of issues uh, and topics. Every generation. Questions have come up. Questions have surfaced. Some have felt that their questions have been properly answered. And others have been led to ask more questions as the answer they received sent them down a path that they were not necessarily anticipating. The answer that one receives to their question may cause one to become very angry or it may cause a person to have a sigh of relief as they can now have their emotions and thoughts quieted. In the reading of Matthew, John the Baptist had some questions. He was sure that he saw the spirit in the form of a dove come and rest upon Jesus that we just read in John. But in the account of Matthew, John begins to have some questions if this really is the Messiah. There are some things that he thinks should be taking place, and now he raises questions. Point number one, the question by John the Baptist. Just the question by John the Baptist. You will note that in Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. John the Baptist, after having confirmed that he did see the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, is now plagued with questions and confusion as he does not understand quite possibly why he is in prison and why after all of his preaching about judgment and seeing the Holy Spirit resting upon the Lord, why judgment has not yet fallen. Why the deliverance of Israel is not yet underway. Every generation has questions. There is nothing wrong with questions. Sometimes I know your parents say, stop asking me that stupid question. <laughs> then you've heard others say, there's no stupid questions. Well, there should not be any stupid questions or crazy questions, but sometimes we know there are. There's sometimes some very puzzling questions. 
John had some questions. His mind was wondering. Now, 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 there's some things that I know I heard right, but it does not seem to be coming to pass. Have some of you had a question about something that you thought you saw? You looked and you took a double look. None of y'all have done that before. You looked at something and you took a second and then even a third. And then you glared and stared. Sometimes you, you take a quick look and you say, did I see that right? Am I seeing what I think I'm seeing? Even the forerunner of Jesus had questions as his expectations of who he was hearing about and what was taking place did not seem to match what he thought should be happening. One is led to question when John saw the dove upon Jesus lightning or lighting upon him. What did John think was going to be the next thing to take place? Had you ever really thought that after John saw the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove come to rest upon Jesus, what was going through John's mind? Did you ever stop to think, what was John thinking actually? We get a glimpse now as John is in prison of some of the concerns or questions that he must have been dwelling upon or thinking about. Sometimes you've got questions when things don't happen at the time you think they're going to happen. Sometimes I know some of y'all think God is just late. God didn't come. God, do you know that I'm in trouble right now? And if you don't get me out of this, something's going to happen. Lord, you need to answer before I decide to do something. And I know I'm going to get in trouble if I decide to do this. You know, you know that, that King Saul ran into that problem. He was told by Samuel... Now you need to wait until I get there before the evening sacrifice, before the sacrifice is offered. But you see, Saul got impatient because he began to look and see the enemy and said, you know what? I ain't got much time. I think that I better go on and do this here because right now I'm running a little bit scared. You see, once you begin to make some decisions based on your fear, you can make some major mistakes. The Lord has never had a problem with time. We've got a problem with time. The Lord has never had a problem working in and through and around time. If the Lord could just get us to wait and hold back and just say, Lord, are you, are you, do you see where I'm at? If you can ask a question and the Lord can tell you, yes, I see, it should then quiet your spirit. Where you can just step back and say, Lord, I'm going to just wait until you answer. But after John has been put into prison, if you note in the scriptures, the Bible says that when John was put into prison, Jesus went to a different place. Some of y'all have been saying, I thought that was my friend. Here am I. I just went to prison and you went to a different city. You didn't even come to see me. Jesus left. Sometimes we might read situations Wrong. John must have been thinking, I thought I saw the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove rest upon him. Have you thought that? I thought I saw something. But when things don't begin to happen as you think, you begin to even wonder if you saw what you did see. Did I see correctly? Did I see this correctly? I thought I saw this. Sometimes a person can talk you out of what you know you saw. I know I saw and they can convince you, no, 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 you didn't see me. That wasn't me. You thought you saw me. This is where I was. Wait a minute. Don't you drive such and such a car? Yes. Don't you have this and such and such on your license plate? Yes. Well, I saw it and didn't see me because I wasn't there. You must have saw somebody else. I, I thought one day I saw somebody. And I said, I, I saw you on the side of the road stopped. And there's an officer behind you. And I, I noticed your lights were dim. Did they stop you because your lights were dim or your, were your alternator okay? Person says, I wasn't stopped by the police. I said, weren't you there on this day and this evening? Don't you have this type of car? Go, yes. I went by and thought I saw you in the seat. No, that wasn't me. And it made me scratch my head. 
Could there be a second person that looked just like that person who drove that exact same car, that same look and had, and it made me think, well, maybe I did. Maybe it wasn't them. And to this day, I really, I'm not sure. But when I passed them, I was very sure. But then I started thinking, well, are they trying? Are they embarrassed because they didn't want me to know? I, all kind of thoughts started running through my mind. So questions started coming up. Well, if there was them, well, why would they not just tell me it was them? They must have been doing something they shouldn't have been doing then. And then your mind started running kind of wild. And then you start coming up with all types of things. Then you start saying, I know it was them. I think it was them. But as we think about this, this happens, and it even happens to John, who was the forerunner. You see, John, and we're not going to be able to deal with this today. We're going to come back in, the, in uh, next week and hopefully go further. But let me just throw this out, this tidbit out there. John, being the forerunner of Jesus, he was a man that was, not, that was anointed by God. But he was a man that was on fire for God in preaching the word. And he was a man that didn't back down from anybody. He was a man that was prophesied back in Isaiah. In Malachi, you see him prophesied as the forerunner. And then just a tidbit that Jesus says, among men, there's no one greater that's been born among men. That's greater than John the Baptist, or that's, that's so important. But when you look at John the Baptist, the Lord makes a comment that I'm not going to deal with today. We'll look at that next time. But you see, nothing ever bad said about John. Prophesied in the Old Testament. Comes on the scene as the forerunner of Jesus. And then even John, this mighty man of God, begins to question are you the Christ or are we to look for somebody else? You see, that's what the world is asking today. Is there something or someone else that we can accept? See, the world asks questions, but then when they don't get the answer that they like, they go to somebody else until they find an answer that suits their belief. Be very careful because that's dangerous, dangerous thinking. You see, if the question that you ask produces the correct answer, you need to find a way to incorporate that into your life. Stop going around trying to find an answer to suit what you want to, what you want to hear. You need to be able to ask questions. And so here's John the Baptist. One would think, but John is in prison and John has began to wonder now that his life is probably is about to end and he's been speaking out against Herod Antipas. Speaking out against him because Herod had married his brother's, Philip's, wife. And John the Baptist said, you know you're wrong. He said all in public, you should not have your brother's wife. Here's John, fiery preacher, and talking about this and not holding back. And he's put in prison, not because so much of Herod, but because of Herodias. Now John is there thinking, Lord, he might even be thinking, are you going to get me out of this? But John stays right there. John's response to his disciples, his own disciples, was to go and inquire of Jesus if in fact he is the Messiah. You see, that title Messiah is that word Messiah is, is his title, the Christ, the anointed one. When we look back in the book of Isaiah 35, it, it mentions what the Christ, the Messiah, was going to do. Isn't it interesting that what Jesus was going to do was foretold 700, even before that, but Isaiah, over 700 years before it was told what he was going to do. And then in Isaiah 61, you will find Jesus himself in the temple quoting that very passage. You see, the Lord has something about his word. He, he values his word. He honors his word. And if you are one that will speak the word of God, God will honor you. That's why you need to stop giving people your opinion. And give them your, the word of God. This is what I think you should do. What does the Bible say? Let me tell you what. I'll consult with God and get back to you. No, no, no. Give people God's word. 
John sends his disciples to inquire. Are you the one in the Old Testament that was spoken about? The one whom I saw the dove rest upon? Or, or is this somebody else that we should be looking for now? So what I need to know, Lord, is are you the one or is there somebody else? Now there's another question implied with that. If you are the one, what's happening? How long are we going to be in this situation? Am I going to remain in prison? John's question to Jesus is, should we be looking for somebody else? I'm getting a little confused. Now get this, John was very, was very convinced and he knew at the beginning, this is the one, I saw the dove. And in fact, when Jesus came to the Jordan to be baptized, John said, man, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. Jesus, we need to fulfill all scripture. And John, in obedience, baptized Jesus. You see, your emotions can play tricks on you. Your feelings can play tricks on you. You sometimes will base your salvation on how you feel. You will sometimes think that I'm not feeling like I'm saved today. God must not be happy with me. God forgive me, I, I know I, my, my, I'm, something must be wrong, Lord. And nothing, nothing may be wrong, it's just that your feelings. That's why you cannot be saved by your feelings, it's by faith. It's by faith, it's faith that pleases God. We know that John, as he goes, he sends these men to Jesus. That he entrusts them to bring him the right answer. You send some people out with a question, you don't know what you might get back. You send them out, you think, oh, Lord, what, what they come back? Oh, Lord, that is, uh, you know what, I'll, I'll check myself. I don't, Lord. They said what? No, that ain't that person, no. Thank you, but no thank you. <laughs> but John sends his disciples, and it is awesome that he believes that his disciples will bring him the right question or the answer point number two the indirect answer full of proof the indirect answer full of proof and let me just read this again to you for you and it says this in verse number four of Matthew chapter 11 it says and Jesus answered them go and tell John what you hear and see now, if you remember what we read back in Isaiah, the fulfilling of that now is what Jesus says. The blind receive their sight. Hmm. And the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. Let me just say this. When you are poor and you get some good news, that's sure enough is some good news. Somebody says everything's already been taken care of. Oh, hallelujah. Bless the name of the Lord. When you know you ain't got nothing, somebody give you some good news. It's worth more than gold to you. Amen. Yes, yes, yes. You know, there are times when we would go, I tell you, down to South Carolina, we would go down in the country. We go to Washington, D.C. And I tell you this. When our cousins in South Carolina heard that their cousins from California were coming, they were excited. They would wait up on the road, walk that, that dirt road up to the highway, and they would wait until they see the car coming. And the car's coming. They take off running toward the house. They are coming. They are on their way. They're coming, and they would be so excited. They wait all day long until they saw us coming down the road. And we would be so excited as we saw our cousins down in South Carolina. We would be down there for a week. It was always a week. We would go back east for a month. And we would then see our relatives and we'd go down to South Carolina for a week. It was always wonderful to go down to South Carolina as long as it was daytime. <laughs> Nighttime come, I was ready to leave. No street lights. I told you this. Dark, pitch black. And here they are running up and down that road. Can't see nothing. Ain't you scared you're going to hit something or run into something? Oh, no, we know these roads. And here they are. Come on, come on. I can't see the whole. Don't you leave me out here. 
think we were down in South Carolina one year, and was that you? My grandpa had an old mule, and that mule in the nighttime came up on the porch. Was that you? <laughs> Scared him half to death. Can you imagine hearing some plop, and then you see a shadow or something? <laughs> Lord have mercy. But my cousins, they were always excited when they heard the news that we were coming. Ain't had much of anything, but just the relationship was rich, fascinating. When we think about the good news that the Lord brings to those that don't have much, it lets us know that the Lord is able to take care of us and give us things that we don't, not only don't even deserve, we can't even imagine. Jesus tells John's disciples, he doesn't even give them a direct answer. Yes, I'm the one. He says, you tell John what you've been seeing. Come on, follow me and, and tell him and take back to him what you see and what you hear. Amen. You, you see, this is, this is something that the Lord does. God has a way of showing himself, not just telling you, but he makes himself known by what he does. And yet, Jesus did not change John's situation. I'm going to be done in just a couple of minutes. You see, Jesus and who he is is not based on whether you get out of a tight jam or not. That, that doesn't change who Jesus is. Jesus doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That he, was the, he was the same Jesus even before you came on the scene. Your coming on the scene didn't change him. I think sometimes we think that when we arrive, Jesus must have just changed everything just for us. And therefore now he must answer to us. Jesus don't answer to you. He didn't consult you when he was laying the foundations of this world. Go on and ask Job. He asked Job, Job, where were you? We need to understand and just accept, Lord, when there's things I don't understand, just help me to stand firm on your word just because of who you are. We sing a song because, because of who you are. It's just because of who you are. Well, why do you worship God just because of who he is? Not because of what you can get from him. That's just part of the package that says, hallelujah, bless God. But he's worthy to be praised whether you get anything or not. Sometimes your faith is sorely tried and it takes God's word at the point where you need it most to be able to to give you a big sigh of relief and just to say, ah, thank you, Lord, for that. Sometimes just the word of God. Sometimes you're going through something and a call will come right at the right time. Is something going on the person on the end of the end says, you know, are you okay? There's a question that comes up. I was just thinking about you. You came across my heart and I thought I would give you a call. Right at the time when you were questioning, Lord, does anybody care? And there's Jesus. Already sending the answer so that it arrives at the time your question is being asked. We think about John as I bring this part to, conclude, to a conclusion for today. And Jesus, he indirectly answers John's question by saying, come and see. And then you take back to John what you see and what you hear. You oftentimes find as we were discussing in Tuesday Bible study. When it comes to the miracles that Jesus did, a lot of times it does not give the details of all the miracles. But when it comes often to the matter of people being deaf or blind, it oftentimes will stop and give the details of those miracles. Jesus healed many people, the lame, but oftentimes it talks about the specifics of the blind and the, those who couldn't hear. And then the word of God says, then let him who has an ear to hear, hear what the spirit is saying to the church. That's what the world really needs today. Because if they don't hear the word of God, they can't be saved. It is the word of God that gives them the ability to be able to say, God, yeah, I need you. It's the blood of Christ that, that, shed, that, shed, that was shed on the cross for that person's sin. But it's the word that they need to hear. It's the word. It's the word. Sometimes I tell you, sometimes we're praying for people. It's the word they need to hear. So you're praying to God. God change their heart. May they be receptive to the word of God. God honors his word. Where does your faith lie today? Where's your faith? 
Are you struggling to trust God? Are you looking for another savior? Another Messiah? How many times have you quit God? Say, God, I quit you. I'm breaking up with you. You, you, you're not the one I thought you were going to be. You, you not, don't always seem to be right there. I've been calling you and you all late and stuff. God ain't never been late. Yeah, he was saying, I was just waiting until you got through being beside yourself. <laughs> until you couldn't do nothing else, and then you finally said, okay, God, I get it. Oh, here I am. Now, this is how we're going to handle this. That's what God does. Where's your faith? What questions do you have for the Lord? What are you still struggling with? You're in good company because John the Baptist had questions. And yet the Lord, you don't find him rebuking John, but says to his disciples, take back to John what you see. You don't have to look for another Messiah. I'm the one that Isaiah, Malachi, all the Old Testament spoke about. I'm the one. In time, judgment will come, but I am the one to bring salvation, John. Many people didn't realize that I'm the one that was going to open the blood. I'm the one. Go take back to John what you see. Then you can imagine for John as he gets the answer. <sighs> Good. You see, when you put your trust in the Lord, you can stop worrying and go in and get some sleep. You can go ahead and start worrying through the night and watching the sun come up. No need to watch the sun come up. Go and get some sleep. Get some sleep. Get some sleep. Bless the Lord. Stand to your feet. Do you have questions? It's okay if you got questions. But take your questions to the Lord. You see, John was good because John took his questions to the Lord and was willing to accept the answer that he received. Lord, we thank you right now today. And we honor you today for who you are. And we pray that the questions that we have, that we will direct them to you. And then the questions that, Lord, that we don't seem to get the answer that we want, just because it comes from you, may we just stand firm and say, Lord, may your glorious will be done because you know what's best. We love you today. We honor you today. And as we leave this place, May we know and understand that, God, you always have our best interest at heart. We can trust you and believe you for everything, for you died for our sin. You've given us everything. You take care of us, Lord, and we honor you. Now, we pray that as we leave, that you will give travel and mercy. Bless the cages as, Lord, they have this reunion this next month. Bless them and those that may be traveling and coming from different places. Bless them to get here safely. We honor you today and we magnify you. We pray for Renee Warren as they go to Haiti. We pray for Pastor Okoyan and the group that will be going to Africa in August to minister to the needs and to give and to help those who, Lord, don't have as much. We pray for them. Keep them safe, Lord. We bless you and magnify you. Give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you. Amen. God bless you. Pastor Marcus Small, Senior Pastor of People's Inner City Fellowship, located in Marin City, Sausalito. This has been the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. To nominate your congregation for Church of the Week, please email us the name and address of your pastor and church, along with a link to your church's website to churchoftheweek at salemsf.com. Again, that's the name and address of your pastor and church, along with a link to the website and email to churchoftheweek at salemsf.com. While all submissions will be considered, not every submission is guaranteed airtime. Thank you for joining us today, and be sure to tune in again next week at this time for the Church of the Week. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.